Hi, all you lovely people. I wanted to warn you real quick that I actually am going to turn up the volume a little bit in this episode, so I would take this time before my intro starts to turn it down so that you can adjust it to a your liking, I suppose. Here we go. What's up, guys? It's your girl, Ginger, the true crime queen. I'm reminding you now that listener discretion is advised. The dark nature of the show is not suitable for young ears or those who are sensitive to graphic material. But without further ado, let's get it. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning back in for part three of the story of Gannon Stout. I found myself so deep into this case simply because of the plethora of information that was spilled from the social media perspective of the investigation. This episode is a bit more graphic than the other two simply because we are going to go over the unfortunate discovery of Gannon's remains and the affidavit honestly leaves much to the imagination actually. I'll give another heads up when nearing that point in the timeline though. So as you can probably tell, the investigation from the inside was actually more focused on Letitia than the media perspective would ever know. It's only two days into the investigation and there's already so much movement within Letitia's own time frame that are left with a pretty good understanding of what happened despite the attempts of hush-hush by the investigators. They basically had to sit back and wait for Letitia to either say more information to the media while tracking her whereabouts to put together the entire picture here, since what she has told them up until this point still has left them with so many unanswered questions. We left on the night of Tuesday, January 28th, just before day two in the search for Gannon, and just hours after investigators alleged that she disposed of his body somehow just north of Colorado Springs by means of her Volkswagen Tiguan. She had just been picked up by her 17-year-old daughter, Harley, after sending a ballsy-ass text to the lead detective of the entire investigation, to which the lead not only checked her ass, but raised her one by replying calmly, and two, respectfully challenging Letitia to come in for an interview, saying, come talk to me, I just want information to help find Gannon. This detective is aware she's playing a long game with Letitia, but she's ultimately aiming for justice to be served for Gannon and his true family. So moving on to Wednesday, January 29th, which is about 48 hours after he's been missing, I'm willing to bet almost anything that this was the morning that Roderick Drayton, the neighbor, had actually come over to Gannon's father, Albert, showing him the videotape footage that he had of what appeared to be Letitia arriving home without Gannon. He said he initially went over there early in the investigation and offered to look at the footage and that's when Letitia had shooed him off of the idea. But he says in an interview that something didn't sit right with him that night and he stayed up super late watching all his footage from the week before. That's when he discovered the clip that showed Gannon and Letitia leaving in the morning of that Monday she reported him missing and then shows Letitia returning home about four hours later but Gannon is not visible on the screen. I've said before that I've made a supplemental YouTube video to explain why I believe Gannon did, in fact, get out of that Nissan truck that day. The basis of the video, though, is that Letitia had originally 
backed in to the driveway with that truck when she returned that day. She then pulled out into the street again and reverses into the driveway for a second time. And after watching it for a few times, I just really assumed that this lady can't fucking park. But then I realized that she was actually reparking so that she could have enough room for Gannon to get on on the other side of the truck, the side that isn't visible in the particular neighbor's footage. There's literally half a second clip showing a small shadow movement that I believe was Gannon getting out of the passenger side of the truck instead of the driver's side of the truck as everyone had seen him getting into when they left that morning. Despite Roderick claiming that Gannon did not return home that afternoon, based on his security camera failing to capture any part of Gannon, the investigators also believe that Gannon did come home that day, which makes my reasoning of her weird-ass parking job a little more understandable now. On another note, never mind the fact that Gannon isn't even seen getting out of his Nissan truck that day, the investigators must also have come to the conclusion that Gannon never left the house like Letitia had claimed he did, even with the 45-minute window he supposedly left in. Gannon would have been caught on someone's ring doorbell because someone in the Facebook group's screenshots explains that after they drove the neighborhood themselves, they could tell that many homes on that block had the ability to see if Gannon did or did not leave, and no other footage was ever found of him within his neighborhood with him leaving that day. Cameras managed to catch Lena returning home from school around 3.11 p.m., and then returning outside again at 3.30 to ride her bike, and then cameras even managed to catch Harley coming home at 4.38pm, but never once caught one frame of Gannon leaving that home. So I suspect early morning of January 29th, Roderick went to Albert with the footage where he then became distraught as he realized that Letitia had lied about the circumstances of Gannon's disappearance, which immediately prompted Albert to call his direct line to the investigators. Letitia had already been kicked out of the house, as I understand, that something the day prior had occurred which forced Letitia out of the home. I'm still not sure what this is. Exactly. It's noted in the affidavit that CCTV actually captured what appears to be Letitia's Tiguan at a car wash facility nearby at about 11.30am this January 29th. And we all know how important it is to have such a clean car when you're due for an interview with the police regarding your stepson's missing circumstances. According to the rest affidavit, according to the arrest affidavit though, Letitia had returned her rental Kia back to the airport Avis budget rental department about 9am this morning, and she was then picked up by her daughter Harley. So Harley must have driven Letitia to her car, where Letitia then drives her T1 to a car wash and is seen on CCTV at 11.30 before she shows up for her actual interview at noon. Letitia's interview was actually scheduled for 10 a.m. that morning, almost two entire days after she had reported Gannon missing, with her initial claims that he just stayed home from school that day and then left and somehow vanished between 3.15 and 4. When Letitia didn't show up for her interview at 10 a.m., it's explained in the affidavit that Letitia was very evasive during this time, and investigators had talked to her a few times by telephone, but she would not allow them to come to her for the interview. She finally strolls into the sheriff's office two hours late to her interview with what investigators noticed was a wet Volkswagen Tiguan, which they likely seized at this time. The affidavit goes over Letitia's demeanor during her interview with investigators, and they said that she came into the sheriff's office with a bunch of handwritten notes that she would continually reference before answering questions. 
and she eventually just asked if she could read her entire statement instead, but she would not physically give these notes to investigators for them to read themselves. The detective who read out the affidavit even commented that though it's not illegal to have notes during an interview, it's extremely rare. This is when something really, really, really interesting happens, though. Letitia changes her story, and trigger warning for rape here, rape accusations anyway, but get this shit. Letitia now, from her handwritten notes, is claiming a man named Eduardo, not Eduardo, Eduardo with a G, actually attacked her and raped her at gunpoint, knocked her out, and then abducted Gannon after they came home from Petco that Monday morning, as this Eduardo dude was supposedly in their basement when they returned home. She says this gun-toting Eduardo, the rapist, allowed Letitia to go upstairs in the middle of the attack to greet Lena when she returned home from school, and after she sent Lena back outside about 19 minutes later, Letitia returned downstairs to be further assaulted and possibly knocked out again until about 4.30. She says Gannon even tried to fend off the attacker at one point by jumping on his back, and that's when Eduardo had thrown Gannon against the wall. She goes on to say that Eduardo held the gun towards Gannon while he demanded a suitcase from Letitia. She apparently brought him a suitcase and a bonus cardboard box that wasn't requested, but noted by Letitia at least, before she was then hit one more time and most likely blacked out for the third time. She even goes as far as claiming that Eduardo even raped Gannon, and that's why Gannon's blood might be present at the scene where they were attacked. So she basically just implicated another person while pushing the blame off as well. She's a rape victim now, and Gannon's an abducted child as well as being raped himself, and that is what she is saying. The police obviously have many questions like, well, why didn't you call the police after you were attacked? Or why didn't you tell them Gannon was abducted and not a possible runaway? They even bothered checking the security footage they could find just to see if a possible Hispanic male did enter the home at any point of the day while Letitia and Gannon were shopping. Or even the fact that she seems to have cleaned up the possible crime scene where authorities could have possibly found evidence against this new character, Eduardo. The affidavit does make a point to say that they tried to collaborate Letitia's claims of assault before brushing them off as untruthful. It didn't help her case when Letitia refused to be properly examined by their sexual assault nurses. She denied authorities the chance to properly identify Gannon's suspected kidnapper. Letitia would, though, include that she only knows Eduardo because the day prior to the attack, remember that horrible recording of the aftermath where it sounds like Gannon's in pain? Well, she says that after that incident, she drove around her newly developed neighborhood as construction was being done. And she was hoping to find someone that she could pay to repair their carpet that Gannon had burned. She found Eduardo, gave him their garage code, and then he had agreed to come over the next day, that Monday, and repair the carpet while Letitia and Gannon were out shopping. And that's apparently when he decided to instead rape her and then kidnap Gannon. Now that's some pretty terrible luck right there, isn't it? My issue with this is that I know that little video recording of Gannon was actually filmed very, very late on Sunday night before Gannon went missing. And there ain't no way in hell that Letitia went out after 10 p.m. on Sunday night in January and actually found some Hispanic worker just building along in the neighborhood. Honestly, that's the stupidest fucking thing I've ever heard. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point 
in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. Investigators never found footage of a Hispanic male entering the home that morning and even managed to find Letitia was actively using her phone during the hours that she claimed she was being sexually assaulted and or blacked out from the attack. They found she actually had an outgoing phone call as well as several text messages were sent and received all in the same moments that she was claiming to have been raped. Interestingly though, the text messages at this time concerned buying Albert a new pair of headphones. Because, you know priorities. Gotta buy these headphones, even though I'm being raped. It's, it's interesting, you know? When Letitia requested to leave in the interview, police seized her phone and actually detained her while a search warrant for her DNA sample was being applied for. She then began hiding her tissues in her pants pockets and claiming to have chest pains and shortness of breath, so they called an ambulance for her, and they quickly took her to a nearby hospital where she suddenly became tight-lipped and stopped answering questions altogether medical-wise and investigation-wise. At the hospital, she managed to sign herself out without telling the detectives that rode with her in the ambulance, and upon getting a warrant for her DNA, Letitia had already left the hospital after calling someone from the waiting room. Now, I'm not sure what time these next two things happened, but it was reported in the affidavit that investigators had found carpet brushes in the dishwasher this same day, as well as went to Petco and double-checked their security footage on Letitia and Gannon's whereabouts, that Monday that he went missing. This is also the same night that Gannon's actual church holds the first candlelight vigil to support his family at the 48-hour mark in their search for Gannon, and that would be around 6 p.m. that Wednesday night. Moving on to Thursday, January 30th, this is actually the day that the local sheriff's office announces that they are upgrading Gannon's status from missing to endangered, and they tell the media that it's due to increasingly cold temperatures, as well as the fact that Gannon has been gone two whole days without his regular medication that he takes. It's critical that he be found ASAP due to statistics and timing for children missing after 48 hours. We can obviously tell from the inside point of view, however, that investigators are now actually looking very seriously at Letitia and their home and what the evidence or really lack of evidence that something innocent happened to Gannon is. By upgrading the status from missing to endangered, the investigation had a lot more resources at their fingertips. The FBI and the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children were both now active in the case, as well as many other offices focusing on finding the missing persons. Crime scene labs are reportedly seen in front of the home on this day, first by social media and those who live nearby, and then in the media as the news vans would set up near the home. They caught glimpses of the district attorney entering and exiting the home while wearing little shoe covers, prompting questions as to why he was there, and the investigation spokesperson would later say that it's all part of routine, and then the very emotional videotaped message from Gannon's family would be aired later the same day. This is the one with Gannon's little sister saying that she loves her bubba at the end. Behind the scenes, though, Police choose this day to actually go out and seize Letitia's daughter Harley's car, the white Volkswagen Jetta she primarily drives. Police find them at a local Marshall's clothing store, and this would be the incident Letitia later mentions in the news interview with Spencer Wilson. I believe at this point, police have seized both Letitia's Tiguan and her daughter's Jetta, so now Letitia's aunt Brenda actually goes and rents a Nissan Altima allegedly for Letitia to drive. It is said in the affidavit that police were granted the authority to stick a GPS locator on the rental Altima, 
tracking Letitia's movements again with this vehicle, and she must not have been aware of this by the looks of things. We've now come to Friday, January 31st, and this is the day that Letitia has her weird-ass interview with Spencer Wilson, and I'm going to play you the uncut version. You are? I am Tisha Stout, which is Gannon's stepmother. Uh, you've been a part of the investigation since the very first time. You were the last person to see him. Is that right? Correct. Uh, what, what did you see when you last saw him? Well, I'm not allowed to talk about anything with the case. I would more so be willing to talk about how the community needs to have faith and continue to work together and not make these false accusations, like the things that have been said that I've disappeared from the community. I haven't been there to help, but there's lots of reasons behind that. Uh, reasons like death threats, right? Right. Death threats are one of them. My family's getting lots of death threats. We counted over 20 some death threats already. Um, Two, my husband's ex-wife is living in our home. And, of course, I'm not coming home to do these things and to help with the family when I was kind of, like, told I couldn't. Um, and then many other things that happened with the El Paso County Police Department, you know. And in doing the investigation, I was told I wasn't complying. And can I elaborate on that? Please Yes. So I asked for an attorney during the interview, uh, and I was denied that by them. I was held because they were blocking the door and I was told I couldn't leave and that if I would have touched them, they would have probably, you know, said I still wasn't complying or said I was, you know, trying to run away or something. But during the interview, I asked several times, could I stop the interview? Could I get an attorney? Could I stop the interview? Could I get an attorney? I was denied. I was told I couldn't get nothing to drink. I couldn't go to the bathroom. I mean, it was continuously that my constitutional rights were violated. And that's why you say that they said then you weren't cooperating with the investigation. That's why they said I wasn't cooperating at that time, correct. And why did you ask for an attorney at the time? Well, I asked for an attorney at the time because there was one individual, there was two really good detectives, and so I'm not, you know, going to talk bad about detectives. But the tactics they started to get when I would answer questions, they try to, you know, they're detectives. They're supposed to twist. The one main goal is to find Gannon. But during that time, some of those things made me feel uncomfortable the way they were saying things. So I immediately stopped and felt like, felt like an attorney would help me with some of the vocabulary and things like that that I needed help with and understanding some of the things that they were asking. I'm going to shift gears to what has become a huge online presence of people right. obviously trying to do the right thing mm -hmm. help find Gannon but at the same time sometimes it just feels like rumor mongering have you seen any of those comments yourself we have and see that's one of the main things we haven't been around in the public eye because we did, I didn't want to expose my family to it if all these things were going on you know there was comments about Gannon getting pushed off the hike and there's comments about this and that's just not true I took care of Gannon for the last two years in our home because his mother didn't want to do it. And I would never, never, ever hurt this child. And I know there's some questions out there about, okay, so tell me what happens. That's up to the investigations when they end up letting you guys know, but I've cooperated with them, even to the point that we were held with a gun and my daughter, a 17-year-old who serves our country in the United States Air Force, who has never committed a crime or done anything wrong in her life, was put in handcuffs over the keys that was in her purse so they could take her car and they weren't in there they weren't even in her car i mean in her purse and they were you, in my pocket you originally didn't even know it was the uh law enforcement officer i didn't know it was a law enforcement officer because when he came out i guess he was putting his jacket on and it it wasn't necessarily his fault he was adjusting and happened to catch me but i saw the gun and i panicked originally and kind of thought oh gosh i got the like who's this guy and then once i realized it was the sheriff's office i was totally okay but they still had a gun and told me they were going to shoot me 
But I was really concerned about my daughter asking why she was being detained in handcuffs and things like that when that shouldn't even happen for a child. That shouldn't happen for someone who was standing inside of a store shopping because we couldn't have any clothes because all of our clothes were here. If we came here and got clothes, you know, we would be harassed. So she went to purchase some underwear and things like that and was putting the handcuffs in the store, you know, and then brought out with men with guns. And there's that, that's just not okay. You know, they could approach me and said, hi, I'm Wade El Paso County. Can I please get this instead of the way that it happened? I'm just going to check your chat. You're doing great. I should try and clarify here, not necessarily crime rates, but the way that people are reacting online to rumors about you with the search. Oh, oh yes, wow. The rumors have gotten so bad. Uh, I pretty much have been told at least 10 different ways that these people have these conspiracy theories. I guess they watch a lot of law shows and maybe they have all these theories on how um, Gannon is dead. And that's what they're saying. So I'm like, why are you saying Gannon is dead? He is not dead. We are going to find Gannon. And that's the main goal that we all have, my family has. Just because you haven't seen us, we have that same goal. We've been out searching. My aunt has been out searching. My family has been out searching. We all have been doing that together so that we could protect each other. How does it feel when not only you have a lost child who you are in care of, but then people blaming you for that child not being there? You know, I, I'm just ready for Gannon to come home. Most importantly for him to see his family, but second, I am going to be so ecstatic when I'm able to say to people that I hope they have a really sincere apology for all these theories that have came out online, for all the things they said that I have done or people have done. I just want everyone to know that we're going to find Gannon, and I love him so much. I've helped taking care of him for so long. Can you talk to me a little bit about him? I don't know him. Gannon is so kind and he loves to play video games. That's one of his favorite things. He loves Sonic and Mario. And, you know, he's always helpful. And I, he was always so helpful with the dogs around the house. And we have two little cute dogs. And he was always like a person I could say, Gannon, can you go do this? And he would do it right away. You know, sometimes with kids, we have to remind them and things like that. And that's okay. But he was so sweet and able to help anyone. He could notice when you're sick and say, are you okay? And such a kind heart. Um. I know you just said that you can't say anything about the investigation, so you can just say so again if you can't answer this, but is there anything we can hear about the hike? Was there a hike? We don't, that just seems like rumors right now. You know what? Um, could we bring uh, my daughter up here? Because she can, she can go and say that, you know, she came home from work after the hike and she can verify that Gannon was at our home. Okay. Yeah, that's fine with me. If she doesn't want to, that's okay, but you're allowed that's to. That's fine. Not an okay so far? Yes. I need Harley. I need Harley, because they want you to verify was Gannon at home after the hike. Because you didn't go to the hike, but you came home from work. Hmm? Do you want me to just say yes? No, just ask the question. Yes, you, you came home from work, and you, ver you can verify Gannon was at home. Yeah. I told her she didn't have to be too in-depth, because she is still, you know, a child. But I want to make sure that someone knows that there's another person to verify that Gannon... Does she need to hold this? No. Yes, so I came home later that evening. I was at work, and I can verify that he was there that night. So there there was a hike that you guys went on, but then you guys came home? Yes. Where'd you guys go hiking? Garden of the Gods. And then we ate Burger King afterwards, so, you know. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it just was, I'm going to go to play at a friend's house. 
And then it was just, uh, I'm off to go to friends, at a friend's house. Unfortunately, I'm not able to like comment on that anymore. And for that reason, it's because some things have been turned and twisted. And, you know, that was one of those stories you were talking about where people say things. Um, we had to hear things like who would let their child go out at dark and, and things like that. And that, and that's just why I don't want to answer that. Um, if I had to give, I'm not going to say that part. That's okay. Never mind. Right. I can take that out. I understand that it, it gets tricky with yeah. that stuff. Do you feel like, I asked you what I need to, do you feel like this is going to help kind of turn the tide of what feels like a witch hunt, in my opinion? I hope, is, am I on camera now? You are okay, still. Okay, okay. Um, I think that a lot of people can see that I'm not missing and see that I am being cooperative. And But to me, it's okay that they think those things because my the way someone thinks about me, I don't have a problem with that. My main thing is I would never want someone to think that I would hurt Gannon or any of the children in our home because that's just not the case. I've spent my whole entire life working so hard in education. Um, there was even things online that was talking about my education license and I shouldn't even be a teacher. And they just didn't know that. Like we moved on a military move and I didn't finish out my contract. So I gave up my license in that state. Um, it had nothing to do with any criminal activity, you know, or any of those things. And it just got blown out of proportion on my professional status, you know. And Do you feel like these are just internet detectives who think they know what they're doing? It definitely is. And, you know, here's the thing that kind of saddens me. It's like, if you're going to talk about someone like that and have a witch hunt out for them, why would you even care, like, about doing those things? Because this is a child. You're telling me that you're just as mean, you're just as hateful to talk about someone else like that. That's how I feel. Like, we just should not. We should all come together and wait until the end and see what happens because Gannon's going to come home. Any message for Gannon? The message for Gannon I have is, Gannon, when you get here, you'll be able to truly tell what happened. And then I really hope I get a sincere apology from everyone who has made all those things especially for my husband. We just wanted to add a message to Gannon from my family, is that we love you and miss you, and we hope that you come home soon. And Gannon, I can't wait till you can come home and let everyone know that you're okay. We love you. And luckily for us, Spencer Wilson gave us all the deets after this weird interview on Twitter. He answered a bunch of viewer questions and even gave a better description of what wasn't viewable on tape. He clarifies that Letitia arrived at the interview with two other women, one presumed to be one of her aunts, her 17-year-old daughter Harley, the one who makes the small appearance on the interview, as well as a younger man, so altogether making five people. There was two cars and a moving van within the entourage that she came with and even gave a little insight into how Letitia had requested to retake the ending shot where she gets emotional talking about Gannon, but only in her second take of the message. Right after this interview with Spencer, Letitia left in the Nissan Altima her aunt rented and drove back to the location near Palmer Lake in Douglas County around 4.15 to 5.15 p.m., where, interestingly, police would later find a 2x4 piece of particle board with Gannon's blood on it, as well as a sock of Gannon's, just off the highway there where GPS locator on the car indicated that she had drove that night, Tuesday the 28th, as well as this Friday the 31st, right after this interview. Detectives assume that Letitia had returned to the area in which she had previously disposed of Gannon's body to make sure that it was not easily visible from the road. 
I personally think it's possible that she may have even picked the body back up and might have kept it in the U-Haul truck that was seen in Letitia's entourage. Moving on to February, you'll have to remember that what's happening in this portion of the podcast was behind the scenes shit at the time. So it's actually not until February 3rd that the media would even become aware of the neighbor's security footage. Police are a few days behind Letitia, and news reporters are a few days behind police. It's not until February 4th that the media was even given the go-ahead by investigators to share the contents of the security footage, which gave everyone a little bit of information to chew on in the meantime. Police suspect that Letitia was in or around Pace or Pensacola, Florida area between February 3rd and February 5th, and I'm assuming that's when police also think Letitia must have dumped his body there below the overpass. On February 10th, the news reported that the use of robotic sonar for underwater areas near Palmer Lake, just north of Colorado Springs, the same area where Letitia had been known to be driving through just 24 and 48 hours after Gannon's reported missing. On February 12th, Letitia sent that exclusive statement to the Colorado Denver news outlet that was read by the reporter, and we'll play it back for you. First and foremost, I would like to thank all agencies, volunteers, and community members who are working diligently and praying endlessly to bring Gannon home safe. Thank you to my husband, who has stayed strong through this and protected our family to the best of his ability, and our immediate and extended family members throughout the East Coast. To Gannon, please come home soon because your daddy is waiting to watch the new Sonic movie that comes out this week. And the cool shirt I got you to wear to the theater, it's in your closet. She told me social media has been devastating and that it has been a challenge when people are trying to run you off the road, waiting outside your hotel, threatening to kill you, etc. She's asking the sheriff's office to take down some of the pages on social media. Fox 31 got this video from a neighbor who said he turned it over to police when he saw that Gannon didn't get out of Letitia Stouck's truck on the day he went missing. Stouck tells me Gannon was in the truck. Please don't think for a second that there isn't enough of technology to determine shadows and movement around the truck. There was also proof from my phone that we had taken a selfie in the truck in our driveway that was timestamped. We always send pictures to Albert when we are out and about when he's away. So Albert was actually continuing communication with Letitia throughout this exact time period in February. The arrest affidavit actually indicates that during the period of this communication between Letitia and Albert, she offered explanations to blood found in the home without being asked first, and why blood would be found elsewhere in town, also without being asked, as well as changing her original story a total of five more times throughout these conversations. She first told Albert that Gannon had burned himself during the candle incident, to the point that his skin actually bubbled, and then Gannon had peeled those blisters off and wiped them onto the walls around his bed on Sunday night. She offered that information. It was not asked. Blood being on the walls was something that was actually never reported in the media at this point, so detectives allege that she brought this up purely because of her own knowledge of the murder scene. She then also changed her prior rape claims about Eduardo and was now implicating an entirely different man named Quincy Brown, who had followed her, allegedly, from the Petco and at some point laid down in the street in an attempt to trick Letitia, which apparently worked, and he forced himself inside the car. 
She even went on to add that the attacker was actually still inside the home when police came later that night and they'd failed to recognize her subtle hints that someone was still in the home, despite them searching it for Gannon and not finding anyone. She tells Albert in another version even that her and Gannon had been riding their bikes out north by Highway 105 when Gannon crashed and hit his head. And that was now when Quincy Brown had got out of a car and abducted Gannon driven by a man named Terrence, because, you know, most criminals introduce themselves while they're committing crimes. Well, police figure that she changed the name Eduardo to Quincy when she found him listed on the local sheriff's most wanted list online. She even sent the same mugshot photo to Albert that can be found on the website. But on February 15th, just a day later, a 2x4 piece of particle board was located in that vicinity with Gannon's sock off the highway where Letitia's GPS had driven in the weeks prior. And there's a picture of this board in the affidavit, but again, the photos for us are literally garbage. A big black blank picture because it's been copied so many times. And you can vaguely see an area where a circle is to indicate the possible presence of blood, but I don't think we're talking about a board that was covered in blood. I think it was probably a few drops, honestly, and I'll get into what I think that was used for later on. But a day later, on February 16th, there's a leaked phone call from what I think is another online crime blogger out of Colorado, where this woman is asking Letitia a series of questions based on the news reports of the case. And I believe this is the same conversation that's mentioned in the affidavit where Letitia brings up the fact that investigators still think, finger quotes, that she's in Colorado, but she actually left the state by that. And I hate that this stepmom is doing all the wrong things while her stepson is still supposedly missing, slash possibly kidnapped, or so she said. She also told this woman that she has told Albert many different stories because he just doesn't believe anything she says at this point. But I fucking wonder why. Now I'll link to this leaked telephone call on the episode sources, but honestly the quality is so shitty that I cannot put it on this podcast it would be so terrible but if you really are interested in hearing what she did say the link is going to be available i'm pretty sure this woman on the phone call is listed in the witness list that supports the arrest warrant affidavit next on february 18th crime online posted their first installment of an exclusive interview with leticia that she had given one of their reporters named lee agan Letitia was making arrangements with this Lee Egan to prove her innocence via a polygraph that had been given to her. It turns out, the affidavit goes over this interesting bit. Since they were watching her phone activity, police noticed that Letitia called a number that actually leads to a website known as fakepolygraph.com. She had notified them after she didn't receive a confirmation after she made a purchase from their website. The website said they would resend her results, and a little while later, she called them back due to the email she got indicating that they actually blocked her results. They told her that the content she had used, the test was flagged, and would not be sent out based on its criminal nature. The affidavit says that Letitia then asked the operator, so what do you do now, just delete it and keep the money? To which this guy replied, yes, indeed we do. So she hung up. And she can't exactly prove that she passed a polygraph anymore, can she? The affidavit thankfully discusses the contents of the polygraph results that Letitia was trying to get faked, and her questions were as follows. 
Do you intend to answer these questions regarding your stepson truthfully? Her answer was yes. Is your birthday August 4th, 1983? Her answer was yes. She's a Leo, by the way. Did you participate in any way in causing harm to your stepson? No. Did your stepson return with you to your home? Yes. Did you participate in any way in causing the death of your stepson? No. Now we obviously have to ask ourselves why someone would have to purchase fake polygraph results if in fact they had nothing to hide. What's interesting in some of these questions is that I don't think she had to lie about all of them, but the security footage that doesn't show Gannon returning home is a big problem for Letitia. I think it's because it's one of the few things that she actually isn't lying about, which is probably very infuriating for her, and I'm kind of just laughing on the inside. On February 21st, ABC comes and does their in-depth interview with Gannon's biological mom Landon, who... You can see he's gripping onto his little Sonic the Hedgehog doll and describing the first fight they had when he was born and how it's since returned during the course of his disappearance. And Landon is honestly one of the strongest mothers I've ever seen in their absolute darkest days. She's quite honestly so admirable throughout this entire devastating roller coaster. I pray for that woman every day. A week after that interview, though, Police would be confident in their arrest warrant affidavit and officially file it with the courts on the 28th of February, a whole entire month after the search for Gannon had originally begun. It's now March 2020, and on Monday, March 2nd, Letitia was officially arrested in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, without incident in the early morning. She later explains that she went to South Carolina where her family is because of the harassment and the death threats she was receiving but not because she was running like police were indicating. Uh-uh. You ain't got to lie, Craig. You ain't got to lie. A police conference is later held with Gannon's biological parents present, and the arresting charges are presented, and his parents each make their own emotional statement in regards to the news of the arrest that was made for the murder of their son, even though his body has yet to be recovered. The evidence they had found lead investigators believe that Gannon is no longer alive, obviously, and... Her first official charges were first-degree murder of a child under 12 by a person of trust, child abuse resulting in death, tampering with physical evidence, and tampering with a human body. The charges alone leave a lot to speculate on the case within the media, even though the arrest warrant affidavit was actually sealed at that time. Letitia has her extradition hearing the very next day on March 3rd. It was videotaped, and you can see the judge explaining the terms of the extradition and then advising her to stop talking about the circumstances of her case. Letitia was immediately transported back towards Colorado State from South Carolina, but made an overnight stop in Kansas on March 4th after Letitia allegedly attacked an officer while in transport. Not much has been said except that the officer had to spend the night in the hospital for injuries after Letitia had slipped out of her handcuffs, but not much else has been reported, and I believe that that information only came from one source, so I'm not even sure how credible it really is. It seems like a pretty desperate and ballsy move on Letitia's part if it's true. Letitia was booked into El Paso County on March 5th, that's back in the county that she's being charged for in Colorado Springs, and her first court appearance, she is seen in suicide watch colors, apparently, and... She chooses to let her attorney do the talking for her, where they denied having the charges read out loud during the hearing. Gannon's church holds a memorial service for the community on March 8th to honor Gannon and his family. 
They've been devastated over the course of events and still have yet to find Ganon's remains. So it was said that even though Letitia was arrested, Ganon's parents were still holding out hope that he might return home alive. It wasn't until almost two weeks later that Santa Rosa County sheriffs in Florida would actually notify detectives in Colorado Springs that their discovery and tentative identification of Gannon's remains within the suitcase underneath a bridge in Pensacola, Florida. The later confirmed identification allowed the Colorado Springs Deputy District Attorney to add more charges to Letitia's case, which could include eight additional counts of crimes of violence for the alleged use of a firearm, a blunt instrument, a knife or sharp object, and for causing the death of Gannon Stout. The deputy district attorney added that the investigation feels strongly that they have the right person as they have over 600 pieces of evidence against her. She wasn't given a bail amount and still hasn't been given one at this time. And then moving on to April, and more currently, on April 3rd, Letitia's arrest warrant affidavit was actually leaked during the early morning hours of the night, then was later officially unsealed later in the day. It had been said that the affidavit was either leaked by someone in the investigation or someone in the family. Regardless, it does lay out a lot of the case that they're going to try to make against Letitia in the upcoming trial if there is one. It was reported that Court TV wanted in on the trial coverage, which makes me think that it's probably going to be one of the biggest murder trials of the decade. It's about time that a victim's family gets justice within a timely manner. Most times we wait decades before the victim is ever recovered, if ever, and there's a great chance that we could finally see some justice play out in Gannon's favor this time. So let's go over where Gannon's blood was found, specifically in Letitia's Volkswagen T1. Possible traces of blood on the rear of the vehicle have later been found to be Gannon's, and that includes the set plate of the rear bumper, and blood was found on the floor of the garage directly beneath the same area below the step plate to the rear bumper of the T1 was parked, as police had found the car in that position when they arrived on scene for their initial dispatch. This blood has since been profiled to be Gannon's that was on the floor. Luminol tests also react to the rear passenger seat in Letitia's Tiguan, as well as the front passenger seat. An area underneath the car's glove box area actually reacted to Luminol as well, but none was found in the trunk of the car. And I believe that's because Letitia used that 2x4 underneath the suitcase for any possible blood leakage. So now we're going to move on to luminol testing throughout the house. Luminol testing found the likely presence of blood in Gannon's downstairs bedroom, the hallway leading to an unfinished utility room next to Gannon's bedroom, the utility room itself, the staircase leading to upstairs, the path taken to the garage, and the garage area as well. Within Gannon's bedroom, luminol reactions occurred on the head area of the mattress, the walls in the corner near the mattress positioned in the room, an electrical outlet near the base of the wall in the same area, the carpet near and beneath Gannon's mattress, the carpet pad below that, as well as a concrete slab below that. This, I believe, would be where the saucer-sized puddle of blood that Letitia had referenced in her statement read by the Denver News anchor was actually referring to. The shitty affidavit pictures indicate the bed was probably moved over this large area of blood while Letitia cleaned the blood off the walls based on the way it reacted from luminol tests. She had failed to clean behind the socket on the wall, which left a large amount of blood behind its plastic covering. 
Based on the blood spatter analysis, examiners believe it was a result of either a gunshot, a blunt object, or knife. This is primarily why all three are listed in the charges, as they did not know what exactly happened at the time of filing the arrest affidavit. The examiner also stated that the spatter was likely not aspirated blood as it was lacking oxygen bubbles in its presence, though it was cleaned and they are just speculating on the evidence that they were able to recover. Detectives presume that Gannon's body was concealed and hidden within the Volkswagen Tiguan, then cleaned up after Harley and Lena had returned with additional cleaning supplies that Letitia had texted for. The receipt was most likely found in her Tiguan as she used those items while cleaning the car area or meant to dispose of it later at some point. So all this evidence from the arrest warrant affidavit leaves me to believe that the candle incident most likely resulted in a rage fit with Letitia, causing a circumstantial amount of damage to Gannon based on the emotion in her voice and the choice of words that she displayed in her posted recording of Gannon crying. I second that by the actual quote that you can hear Gannon saying that he's bleeding, which sounded like he realized after he had coughed up blood. In her second story to police during the interview, she claimed that Eduardo the rapist threw Gannon against the wall, and I personally believe that she threw Gannon against the wall, which caused internal injuries to Gannon. She then begins recording the conversation you heard before with him crying and her convincing him that they have to sell something to fix the carpet that he accidentally burned so that they don't get thrown out of the house. At some point in the night, based on her phone activity, it's indicated that Gannon had stomach issues and would need to stay home from school, hence her search entries about the law regarding children staying home alone and her telling Albert that Gannon was up sick all night with tummy issues and that she would have to lie and get out of work or something. And remember, she went as far as to say that her stepfather was killed so that she wouldn't have to come in for work. And I think that Gannon was obviously hurt. And so much so that Letitia didn't want Gannon going to school that day and possibly telling them that Letitia hurt him when he burned the carpet. So she kept him home. At some point, she realizes that his dad is also going to find out. And I'm not sure when, but most likely before, she chose to search on his phone at 1.48 p.m. about whether or not his phone can be found if it's off. She must have decided that Gannon needed to go away so that she wouldn't get in trouble for flying off the handle and hurting him in a rage. I personally believe, based on the affidavit's information, that Gannon did return home with Letitia after shopping. He most likely went downstairs to take a nap, and then Letitia then went to the garage and found something to bludgeon Gannon with, possibly even taking that time to reverse her Tiguan into the garage. As you can see that it was parked in the driveway next to the truck in the neighbor's security footage, but police later found it inside the garage later that night when they arrived. I allege that Letitia then returned downstairs to quickly kill Gannon, somewhat probably ending his suffering from the night before. Though, honestly, she had this entire time to be fucking human and take him to a doctor for anything that might have actually happened to him, accidentally. Regardless of the charges she might have gotten, it would have been a lot better than fucking murder. I believe this is why there was blood found on his mattress, his walls, carpet by the bed, its pad below, and then even the carpet. We know head injuries have a tendency to bleed heavily, even if they are tiny little cuts. Never mind an injury that was probably intended to cause death. 
Letitia chose to include the matter of the suitcase that was demanded by her attacker to abduct Ganon with, and I believe that Letitia most likely concealed Ganon's body while she would have been able to move him. And this is a morbid thought to point out, but rigor mortis can occur within four hours sometimes, so I'm thinking she must have gotten him into that suitcase very early during this time period. Based on the blood evidence that was found in the home and detailed in the public arrest warrant affidavit, I would assume that Letitia then moved the suitcase with Gannon's body into the utility room next to Gannon's room, then upstairs into the garage, leaving a trail along the whole way. She then put the suitcase into the Tiguan's extra storage area, which she most likely had to adjust a few seats to do, tracking blood around, maybe even needing to get out her car's manual, which is why blood was found outside the glove box area and on two other passenger seats. She then cleaned up what she could before Harley returns home and sends her back out with Lena to get more cleaning supplies, which she uses to clean up the rest of the obvious scene. She rearranges Gannon's bedroom and then begins the charade that Gannon has yet to return home from his friend's house. So she asks Harley to go back out to the nearby park and search. She calls Albert, who starts calling his friends. And then she calls police at 6.55. They didn't show up for over three hours, so she still had all the extra time to clean up anything that might have possibly looked suspicious to her claims that he possibly ran away. Gannon's body was most likely hidden in the Tiwan overnight and all day as it was sitting in the airport's short-term parking lot since she had rented that Kia Rio to pick up Alberton and go searching for Gannon. She picks up the Tiguan after she had been kicked out of the home for whatever reason, then drives north to Douglas County where she leaves the suitcase, his body inside, on the side of the highway, hidden in plain sight almost. She returns to town where she sends the lead detective a direct message that's all, what do you want from me? I have nothing to hide. Then Harley leaves to pick Letitia up shortly after because Letitia needed to conceal her car somewhere so she could wash it before driving it into the police interview the next morning. I believe she then returned to the disposal site a few days later after her weird-ass interview with Spencer Wilson on January 31st to make sure it wasn't easily seen during the daytime or possibly to pick it back up and take it off to Florida at that point. She did have a U-Haul. She had a rental Nissan thanks to her aunt. We know she transported him to Florida at some point, so if it wasn't that day after the interview, it was likely the day after that, because police suspect that Letitia dumped his body in Florida on February 3rd through the 5th sometime. It would take about 20 hours of driving to get to the bridge he was found under in Florida from Colorado Springs, and that's just taking the shortest possible route. I believe it's purely karmic justice that Gannon was recovered so quickly. I've said before that it's incredible how fast the circumstances of this investigation have changed within a matter of just two months. We're still waiting for any sign of Kyron Horman, Dior Coons, Tylee Ryan, or J.J. Vallow, and tons of other kids I have yet to even tell you about. This is an extraordinary case we have here. I still have a few questions regarding the M investigation, and by all means, it's nowhere close to being over, and hopefully these can be answered throughout the upcoming trial. But during my research, I found a couple screenshots where someone in Facebook was actually commenting with a picture and an explanation in the day or two after Gannon was reported missing, and I think this has something very major to do with the case here. 
This person posted a picture of what appeared to be some rubber gloves and tossed out underwear that someone obviously had an accident in. The person posting it said in the comment that they'd noticed it only because of the visible blue gloves, which Gannon was reported wearing blue last, so she saw something blue and walked over, and then realized it was possibly children's underwear that had been thrown out. She didn't know if it had anything to do with Gannon, but posted it to the group. What's interesting to me in the way that Letitia was making claims that Gannon was having these stomach issues and he had stayed home from school that day, but not necessarily because he was too ill to go, but because he was more embarrassed that he might have an accident while in school. And that's why he still went with her to go shopping. Now, is it possible that he had an accident while they were out shopping and she tossed out his underwear before the thought of murder had crossed her mind? There was also some talk of Letitia calling a nurse on a hotline in regards to Gannon's stomach issues, and the information is a little odd because it would seem as though that Letitia was actually posting some of the information from her own mother's Facebook account, whether or not she was aware of it at the time, and she made a bunch of people confused as to how much information Letitia's mother actually knew about the situation. Her mother did come on Facebook and was getting asked all these questions about it, that she claims that she had never posted, which in my head, I'm thinking Letitia had meant to post a few things from her mom's account to clarify some information that was swirling early on in Facebook, and then she must have forgot that she was on her mom's account and started answering other questions as herself, but it would appear that it's still her mother posting, so she later deleted the comments about the doctor's call from her mother's account, so when her mother actually did log on, and was getting all these questions about posts she had no idea about, all these questions about things she never said. You'd have to look at the lengthy collection of screenshots that True Crime Society has accumulated to understand a little better, and I'll link it in the sources for anyone interested on the actual screenshots that were taken while all this shit was going down. And thank god for screenshots, you know, because my point is is that I have a lot of questions about this whole doctor's call, the dirty underwear that was found, and something about the words Miralax that kept coming up, but nothing was really clear as to what it was. And it was never reported in the affidavit either, so we're gonna have to wait and see if that comes out later in trial. I'm not sure if it even has anything to do with the case, but it was very interesting. Now right now this case could be a time for some of those YouTube channels that do psychic readings and tarot readers can go back and see if what they've predicted have somehow turned out to be true. I'm always interested in that weird area of crime, um, psychic detectives. They obviously hold no weight in court, but I'm always interested to see who got the cases right, especially when the truth does eventually come out, and it's their time to shine if they had it right, you know what I mean? Because this case is long from being over, I will update as more information becomes available. So, moving on to announcements, though, um, I mentioned it a little bit last week, but for the foreseeable future, I will now be dropping new episodes bi-weekly rather than weekly, as I am now a homeschool teacher, yay, to my children in a way, due to the quarantine. I will drop episodes sooner if I can, but this schedule will make it much easier for me to make the same in-depth podcast without ignoring my parental responsibilities in the meantime. So your next episode is now dropping on May 10th, and I will be taking it back to Callie on that one, as well as taking it old school on the next case. So get ready for your history lesson, you guys. 
In the meantime, you can check out my Facebook page. We got live and past recorded lives on hot true crime topics. You can put a face to the name here. Just search for your girl, Ginger the True Crime Queen. I broadcast live every Thursday night with the Get Vocal app, and it's like Twitch for podcasters. You should totally come check it out. As always, you guys, I want you to be safe and lock your doors. Please take care of each other out there in this absolute weirdest time of our lives. I appreciate each and every listener I have, and I'll catch you awesome people back in two weeks. That was the tea. I hope you enjoyed my rendition of the story, and if so, please tell all your creepy-ass friends about it. You can find the sources I used in the episode in its description. You can find me slanging those memes on Instagram at TrueCrimeQueen. Check them out if you need some laughs after all that dark shit. If you'd like to support the podcast, consider buying me a coffee so I can keep making that killer-ass content for you guys. You see what I did there? Alright. Bye!